Welcome everyone. This is Jeff Cohn with the Wall Street Resource. Joining me is Francois Michelin. He's the CEO of Endra Life Sciences. Good morning, Francois. Good morning, Jeff. Nice to be with you. So Francois, for those that aren't familiar with Endra Life Sciences, can you just give us a quick overview of the company? Of course. Endra Life Sciences, based in Ann Arbor, Michigan. We're about 30 people. Uh, and we're the pioneers of a technology called thermoacoustic enhanced ultrasound, which is known as TAIUS. It's a groundbreaking technology that characterizes tissue like an MRI, but at 150th the cost of an MRI, and very importantly, at the point of patient care in a doctor's clinic, for example. TAIUS is a technology platform that can do a number of different types of tissue characterization, but we're initially focused on the measurement of fat in the liver as a means to assess and monitor steatotic liver disease, which is formerly known as NAFLD NASH. And that's a chronic liver disease spectrum that affects about 2 billion people globally uh, and for which there are no good diagnostic tools. Okay. So a um, couple of things come to mind. Um, first off, uh, who administers this? Is it, is it the doctor or, or a, a PA? Yeah, yeah a, a clinically trained person, and that could be anyone from a nurse practitioner up to a radiologist. But um, our goal to really help broaden access to better health care for this disease is to make our tool very simple, quick, easy to use, as well as minimizing uh, the need for a complex interpretation by a radiologist. So if you think of uh, a cart-based ultrasound system, which is a, an adjacent technology, it's not exactly the same as what we have, um, it's that sort of form factor. It's a, it's a hardware accessory that sits alongside a patient exam table. And our goal is to uh, deploy this over time and uh, make this like a blood pressure cuff, but for liver disease. Okay. And then, you know, obviously it's, it's, a, it's a big problem, um, but how big of an addressable market is it for you? Well, you know, 2 billion people affected uh, without good practical diagnostic tools uh, means that, you know, th th there's, a, there's a large market there and a large unmet clinical need, which is why we're going after this first application with our technology. Um, the toll addressable markets that we reference uh, in our investor presentations are upwards of $10 billion. Um, and, and that really brings into uh, calculation the uh, evolution of the disease, the diagnostic technologies, procedure trends, um, but it's something that affects men, women, children. You don't have to be obese to have too much fat in the liver, and we can get into some of the drivers and what happens when you have the disease if you're interested. Okay, and so what are people doing it for now? What's the standard of care? So, unfortunately, the standard of care right now is uh, – non-existent in that there are no therapies historically to treat this disease. So most clinicians have used a, a number of available technologies to estimate poorly the existence and degree of the disease. 
Anything over 5% liver fat is a clinical concern. And most ultrasound technologies today or blood tests just are insufficient. They really can't see or measure anything uh, below 30% liver fat, which is pretty useless to a clinician. But the unfortunate irony is because there haven't been any drugs until very recently, I think healthcare has said, look, even if we could detect this disease and measure it more precisely, there aren't any therapies to treat it. So most people are told to lose weight, which as we know as a country uh, is a, a very low compliance approach, but that doesn't help you if you're thin and you have diabetes or if you're female and you have polycystic ovarian syndrome. Each of these conditions can drive a metabolic inefficiency that results in too much fat in your liver and then that progresses to a host of much more complicated uh, conditions that we can discuss. So is this picked up um, by, by a typical ultrasound or MRI? So ultrasound really only sees uh, a liver typically that is more white on an ultrasound image than the gallbladder, which has very little to no fat. And so you can qualitatively estimate fatty liver disease with a traditional ultrasound system above 30% fat infiltration, which is very advanced fatty liver disease. MRI is a very good tool, Jeff. The problem is it's a very expensive tool, both in terms of access, right? Um, there are very few MRIs in the world, a total of around 50,000 MRIs globally available, 50% of which are in the U.S. and Japan. So, if you look at a global population of 2 billion people, very few people have physical access even to an MRI. But then obviously the costs involved, the fact that an MRI takes you know, 30 minutes or so to scan, prepare and scan a, a patient. And then you need a very, very sophisticated radiologist or clinician to interpret the results. So MRI is the Ferrari of imaging, but it's complete overkill if you consider it as a practical tool economically or otherwise to first identify 2 billion people with the disease and then monitor them every few months for how the disease is progressing or how the treatments are having effect. So how does um, your method compare to MRI when it does pick something up? Are you, uh, do you give more data? Yeah. Et cetera? yeah, no, that's a great question. And I think um, our goal is to strike a, a better balance between the diagnostic ability of an MRI, for example, and the accessibility and point of care nature, the ease of use and safety of a traditional ultrasound. So a traditional ultrasound, to help you understand our technology, uses uh, sound waves pulsed into the body to characterize the structure of tissues in the body. So it's sound in and sound out. It's like an echo. Uh, we use something that's different in that we pulse in low energy radio frequency pulses that then generate sound waves back. And so we have a, a, a different method of operation and that allows us to characterize tissue and measure fat in a volume of tissue in the liver and elsewhere uh, in a way that's much more akin to an MRI, but in the form factor of a bedside 
ultrasound machine. So we will not be as good as an MRI, but we're much better than a traditional ultrasound, and we have the benefit of being, you know, at fifty to sixty thousand dollar technology that's easy to use in a clinic or hospital. Um, and so that's really the balance we're str- trying to strike between accessibility of a technology and the diagnostic performance. Okay, and is it proprietary? It is. Um, I think the science uh, is certainly something that's been known for decades, but no one's been able to accurately, consistently decode these signals, these tissue um, signals when you pulse in radio frequency the way we believe Endra has, and, and we believe Endra really leads in this domain. And that's really, um, I think, reflected in two ways. One, uh, we, we've got a very rigorous uh, intellectual property portfolio. We've uh, achieved 70 issued patents for a little company like ours. That's pretty surprising. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have no in-licensing dependencies, so this is all proprietary from Andra. And I think it leads us into our recent submission with the FDA as a unique and novel technology, and we filed as a de novo uh, classification. So unlike a 510K FDA submission where you're referencing your technology to a existing similar technology in the market that's been approved by the FDA. De novo applications are for what are deemed to be novel and new technologies like Endra's that don't have an existing equivalent in the market already. And we think that uh, that certainly will help differentiate us uh, once we're approved by the FDA in terms of um, claims that we can make and, and uh, you know, from a commercial perspective, differentiate us. So I'm not as familiar with the de novo pathway. Um, is, is it timeline? Is it similar to a 510K? Well, the best guidance I can give on that is that the FDA has a goal of 150 review days from submission to a decision. And that's what we certainly stated. Um, I will also say that um, we've submitted our de novo application in mid-August of this year, uh, and it was subsequently uh, accepted for what is called substantive review. The application is complete. They're reviewing the application, and uh, we've had a number of uh, collaborative interactions with the FDA. So we feel like the process is advancing at the right pace. I s- cannot obviously uh, you know, tell you exactly when the FDA would ap- approve or make a decision on that, but certainly um, we're engaged in the process and feel good about it. Okay. Is this just for the U.S. or are you going after other countries? So we have the CE regulatory mark in Europe. Um, and oh, really yeah, that that's already. where... Um, yeah, that, that's a great opportunity for us. Um, that's where you'll see in the coming uh, uh, months here sales in Europe first. And then um, the FDA decision will certainly open up the U.S. market as well as other markets that uh, look to the FDA in Asia as a first step for approval. So um, we have the CE regulatory approval now. I, I think the interesting thing for Andra is uh, – you know, now that we're beyond COVID, which paused a lot of clinical studies for healthcare companies, we've really ramped up very quickly now with several hundred uh, subjects scanned on our technology. And we do compare ourselves 
to MRI, that impractical clinical standard, but it's really the gold standard in terms of research. And we started publishing um, our first couple of uh, clinical abstracts in Europe, which have been really the missing link for us because, as you can imagine, a new technology um, really is backed by clinical evidence and the results that we've shared publicly um, really are very compelling. Okay. And so is this a single product or is it a platform? It is a platform. So uh, thermoacoustic enhanced ultrasound can do a number of things. And the fact that we've decoded the sonic signature of different tissue types, different tissue states, allows us to then derive a number of meaningful clinical applications. So the fact that we can differentiate, for example, fat from muscle or other non-fatty tissues allows us to, for example, as we've been discussing, um, bring to market a tool to measure fat in the liver. But there are other potential applications um, that derive from that application alone. For example, steatosis, fat infiltration in muscle, is uh, a key indicator, as we're told, of the ability of a muscle to be rehabilitated after stroke or injury. And so there could be orthopedic applications of this fat in tissue application. Beyond that, um, depending on how we tune our algorithms, Jeff, we can also non-invasively show tissue temperature change at depth to help guide energy-based surgical procedures that are done today with very little guidance to treat cancer, pain, uh, and cardiological conditions. And so we think that adding a Endra TAIS capability to some of the interventional capital and robotics to guide surgeons as they perform procedures and make those procedures more accurate and safe is a very compelling opportunity for the future. But it is a platform, but today we're focused on what we believe is this large opportunity in liver health, but it's also great, I hope, for investors to consider that um, you know we could scale this business in a number of ways beyond the liver as well. Okay. And, uh, you know, obviously, small company going after U.S. and Europe, um, are you doing that on your own? Or are you going to be partnering? So we have a number of great partnerships. Uh, first, we've been partnered with GE Healthcare, the world leader in ultrasound and, and certainly one of the market share leaders in imaging. Um, since 2016, they helped us finalize the technology, and they've been helping us with referrals to their radiology customers. But we also have, um, you know, a number of clinician partners and studies that are ramping up, including two here in the U.S. and uh, some in Europe, and a small direct sales force in uh, France, the U.K., and Germany, the three largest healthcare markets in Europe. So um, those salespeople are targeting hepatologists, the liver experts, as well as endocrinologists, the metabolism and obesity and diabetes experts, because liver obviously now with the advent of the GLP-1 obesity drugs that have uh, gotten a lot of media attention, as well as some more targeted drugs for non-obese people for liver disease, um, are really energizing the market, Jeff, because um, as I mentioned, so many people affected, but historically, no effective therapies, and that's changing now very, very quickly. So you have clinicians saying, I need 
I know the disease. I need a better diagnostic tool to identify these people, put them on therapy, and then monitor how they're responding to therapy. So we think that Andrew's really at the right place at the right time at the intersection of a large disease population, a new first in human targeted therapies coming uh, as early as uh, the first half of next year, 2024, and a unmet need that Andrew can fill in terms of assessment and diagnosis for this population. Okay. Is this equipment razor and razor blade or just the equipment itself? So for now, we have a accessory product with software. Um, as, as we've shared, there's certainly potential opportunities for disposables, including um, small gel pads and things that are on a per-procedure basis. But as Andra's uh, shared publicly, our goal is to bring to market this first application focused on the liver uh, and then to partner with other companies that might be interested either in this specific liver application or others, like I mentioned, in terms of energy-based surgical robotics and other capital equipment to leverage our IP, leverage our know-how, and then uh, build our technology into their capital equipment. And that's a pretty standard business model in imaging and med tech. Most of the technologies that you see today, for example, on a typical ultrasound like Doppler or colored uh, 3D, uh, were, were originally standalone technologies that were later adopted and built into an ultrasound or other types of capital equipment. So I think long, longer term, um, Andra aspires to not be in the box business uh, but to really be licensing this technology. And hence, our strong IP portfolio is increasingly helping both defend the IP but also offer out-licensing opportunities in that area for us. So to, to begin with, will the equipment be manufactured in-house or is that outsourced? So we have a partner um, that has uh, both engineering and short-run manufacturing capabilities. So that's helped us to stay lean and uh, we can certainly have uh, the ability to short-run manufacture that for uh, the coming uh, future. Um, but certainly as, as we grow into that business model that I espoused um, with licensing and other partners, we hope that that will shift uh, to partnerships more effectively rather than building out a, a large supply chain to manufacture equipment. Okay. Can you just touch on the, the revenue model and also in terms of getting paid, um, is there an issue there because there's no predicate device for reimbursement code? Yeah, good good question. So yeah, just to come back to the revenue model, um, you know, multiple clinical applications with initially hardware products, accessories as we're talking about, along with software and additional services, you know, paper scan maintenance agreements, disposables I touched on also as a potential future revenue stream. And most attractively, the licensing opportunity of this IP um, that we've built. So, so that's the revenue model. We're going to start in Europe where we have the regulatory mark for the liver application. Upon FDA um, decision and approval, uh, we would then turn our attention to the U.S. and then continue on in Europe. In terms of uh, reimbursement, uh, it's not unusual to get a 510K or de novo uh, approval in the U.S. and then uh, subsequently work to get a reimbursement. Um, and so certainly uh, working with clinicians, um, once we have FDA approval in the U.S., to use the product, 
to demonstrate its value, publishing clinical evidence and working with clinical societies like the American Association for Study of Liver Disease to make our technology a standard of care is the playbook for getting insurers to recognize the value and uh, then issue uh, a reimbursement decision for um, a technology. So that's the, the path to it in the U.S. Um, I think what we have in our advantage is that our technology is also quite cost-effective to purchase, as I mentioned, fifty to $60,000. And so um, in the near term, until we get reimbursement, the ROI economically for clinicians is to offer this liver health check in addition to other tests that may be performed during a wellness check or um, when someone comes and has a profile that inclines them to be uh, prone to liver disease if they're diabetic, if they have liver enzymes that may show their liver is under stress, uh, or if they're obese. And offering our technology on a, on a um, self-pay basis, um, that would be determined by the clinician, certainly. But the economics make it very, very reasonable to have a payback uh, within less than a year from our technology at a very reasonable payback. So that's, um, that's the, the roadmap in the next uh, you know, few months and uh, early years before we get reimbursement. And it's certainly a successful model for other technologies in the past. Okay. Now, you mentioned uh, a number of things that could be catalysts for you. Can you just put it in terms of nearer-term stuff? What are some of the catalysts yeah. or events we should yeah. watch for? Sure. So um, as we build our clinical evidence across multiple users in, in, in clinical studies in Europe and the U.S., um, that base of clinical evidence will support our first commercial sales. So first thing that uh, investors listening should consider and, and anticipate is our sales in Europe. So first commercial sales in Europe on the back of our first clinical evidence, which we've published this year. Uh, an FDA decision next year uh, in 2024. Again, uh, it's not entirely within our control, but the FDA has a goal of 150 review days. Um, and uh, so we hope that that's a good indicator of possible timing for Endra's FDA approval. So then you'd have CE regulatory approval in Europe, first commercial sales, FDA decision and subsequent sales here in the U.S. And I think with the continued expansion of our IP portfolio, um, you know, an increasing potential beyond the next couple of months, but certainly into 2024, some strategic alliances as we've developed with GE, but potentially others who, uh, other companies who might want to explore licensing of our technology and collaborating to build what we have into their technology. Very good. Uh, so before we go, is there anything you wish I would have asked or any closing remarks you want to leave us with? Well, no, I think you've touched on it. I, I would distill it again, Jeff, to I think this is a very exciting time to be in the liver disease space. There's a large global and growing population of people affected by this disease. The first therapies to treat this disease are just arriving with the obesity drugs and then targeted liver health drugs early next year. And there's this glaring gap that needs to be addressed in diagnostics to 
screen these people and then monitor them on the therapies. And Endra has a point of care, high performing, accessible tool to fill that need. And so that's where we're focused. Uh, if you look a little beyond, Endra has, as we said, a considerable IP portfolio that it's developed entirely by ourselves. Um, and that gives us additional growth opportunities beyond the liver um, to the other applications that I mentioned. But I, I hope that that distills it. Very excited about being in this space, and I'm really grateful for you and your listeners' time to learn a little bit more about us. Well, thanks for sharing the Andrew story. Thanks again, Jeff.